I came across some um, bios this week of people who talked about their life in high school. A guy named Steven said of himself, In high school I was a nerd, an outsider with very few friends. I played the clarinet and band and, or- and, or- band and orchestra. I didn't get invited to any parties. A girl named Taylor said of herself, when I was in high school, I'd sit in class and hear people say say things like, oh my, this party that we're going to is going to be so awesome Friday. Everyone's going to be invited. I was never invited, she said. A man named Christian said, I took a beating from several boys throughout my years in school. They put me through hell, punching and kicking me all the time. And then this girl named Charlie said, I didn't have any boyfriends in high school. I had a massive, massive crush on this one guy. He was a couple years older than me, and I did not exist in his world. Those junior high and high school years can be tough, can't they? I mean, for some people, they never get better, you know? Never got better than high school. Still putting on that uh, varsity letterman's jacket at 54, you know, and kind of tight around the midsection, you know, every Saturday in October. I can still throw a ball 50 yards in the air. You want to see me? No, we don't. (laughs) Some people, it never gets better. It never gets better than high school. But for many of us, they're awkward years, you know, difficult, never quite sure of ourselves. We we try to remind, you know, the current generation of high schoolers and junior hires that, you know, it's tough. You know, you'll get through this. It'll get better, we promise. But there's always the difficulty of, um, of being unpopular or at least feeling like you're unpopular. Some of us overcompensate. I know a clergyman, I won't tell you who, who was in high school who, um, who won a superlative for class clown, uh, you know, constantly doing ridiculous things because, you know, who knows, it might, might make you popular. Or, or people who would, um, other people would rebel, right? They would, if you can't be famous, you could at least be infamous. <laughs> and so they would rebel and break all the rules. Or, or some people are just, you know, these great athletes. But a lot of people were just, you know, um, fame parasites. They would sort of cling to the clowns and the jocks and the nerds and, well, not the nerds, but, they, you know, they didn't want to be the nerds. So, I don't know, maybe you call um, the people who were bad the hoods, did you call them that? The hoods and the jocks or the socias and the, the greasers, that's the, uh, the old uh, uh, outsiders terms. Whatever they were, you know, the, the people found ways to cling to others who were famous so that they might themselves feel a little famous, a little popular. Most kids, though, sort of suffered. They kind of went through this difficulty, uh, this difficult time of high school and junior high, just kind of suffering through. Some grew up and became very famous. Stephen, this uh, clarinetist who didn't get invited to any parties. Steven Spielberg probably gets invited to a few parties now. Um, Taylor, the girl who never got invited to parties, is Taylor Swift. Christian, the boy who got beat up all the time, Batman. Christian Vale. Yeah, and, uh, and Charlie, the, uh, the girl who never caught anybody's eye, Charlize Theron, I think she catches some eyes now, you know. Um, if you don't know any of these people, they're some of the fam- most famous people in show business. Um, but, you know, their experience in high school and junior high was some, some tough times. There's a problem that some people have, though, that's actually bigger than anonymity. And it's the opposite extreme. It's fame. 
There are some people who have a real difficult time with fame. In our world, you can be famous for doing nothing. You don't have to do a single thing, but somehow catch the eye of somebody on maybe social media, and in a moment, you can become a famous person. There are many case examples I could give you. You know them right off the top of your head. But can you imagine what it would be like suddenly tomorrow to not be able to go to a restaurant or to a movie or to a ball game without being hounded by scores of people who would just, you know, around you and, and trying every moment to see everything that you're doing. To be followed by paparazzi who are always trying to snap your picture. I mean, we, we remember, don't we, that this, um, this terrible accident with uh, Princess Diana who was trying to flee, you know, this kind of fiendish paparazzi just trying to get away from them. And I know that a lot of us say, you know, like, well... I'd give it a run, you know. I mean, I'd, I'd give it a try. Let's see. The fame and, and especially the fortune. I would give that a run and see what it was like. And, and I know, I know you all. You would manage it well. You would. I mean, you would be gracious to the seven or eight or a dozen people who came up to you in a restaurant and wanted to take a selfie with you while you were eating, right? Um, you would, you would be okay. You would, um, you would manage the, uh, the people who were constantly trying to take your picture. And you would manage the reporters who wanted to interview you so they would catch you in some kind of silly contradiction or expose you as a fraud or whatever. You would never have a political opinion in public. (laughs) I don't know what I think about global climate change. You would never have a position one way or the other. You would handle it it, it gracefully, but not everybody can. Some people, when they have so much fame, they just long for one thing, to go back to the days where they were anonymous. If only I could have a little anonymity once in a while. Sometimes famous people wish that everyone would just go away. When I was a kid, I know you don't believe this, but my brothers and I were a bit rowdy, you know, when we were young. And we, would, we thought that the whole idea of every space that we were in was to transform it into a playground. Um, you know, couches became trampolines and, and uh, you know, uh, chairs became uh, launching pads where you could fly like Superman. And so we would run around our house and make a lot of noise. And, and eventually my mother would say something to us like, um, out, you know, out of the house. Now, everyone, out. You go out and play. But, Mom, it's raining. I don't care. Out. You know, you, you need a bath anyway. Out of the house. And then she would say something to us like, don't go away mad. Just go away. That's what she, my mother would say. Don't go away mad. Just go away. Uh, one time I, I repeated something my English teacher said. I said, Mother, um, dogs go mad. People get angry. Don't you mean don't go away angry? She said, no, just go. You know, she was not impressed with my, um, my, my clever semantical. Um, anyway, I imagine that Princess Diana and others like her would have said, would have loved to have said to people, don't go away, man. Just go away. Leave me alone. And if you read Mark's gospel carefully, you'd be tempted to think that Jesus might also want to say this. Did you hear what had happened to him? Um, his disciples returned from this mission that they were on, and they gathered around. They were telling him the things that they had done. And Mark says they, taught him, they told him about everything that they had done and taught, everything that they, they had performed, all the, all the actions and everything that they taught. And, and I imagine it was an exhilarating moment, you know, that they would be kind of going through the, the list of things that they did and the places they went and what happened. And, and I imagine all their... The 12, you know, they're, they're, they're reporting these back to... I imagine their stories were all unique. You know, they're all different. But there was probably a lot of overlap. And, and I can imagine somebody saying, well, I did this. And, and they jump in and somebody else says, well, 
you know, that happened to me too. And, and you know, it's kind of back and forth, and, and it's, it's kind of a, you know, a hectic moment, but a lot of excitement and exhilaration. And I imagine that Jesus listens to all of them. He listens to all these stories, and, and he, he's processing it and, and affirming them. And, and then he says something to them. I don't know if you heard it. I don't know if it slipped past you. It was in, in verse 31. He says to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. Come away. We hear the emphasis. Come away to a deserted place. Come away to a deserted place by yourselves and rest a while. Mark's original Greek is actually more emphatic. Come away, you yourselves. Come away, you yourselves, and rest a while. A little R&R. A little away from the crowd. Let's go to a mountain and pray. Let's, let's have some time of, of quiet and solitude. And so they get in a boat, and they're heading for the other side of the lake to do exactly that. And, and now listen to the text. And they went away in a boat to a deserted place by themselves. <laughs> we have it repeated again. Deserted place by themselves. Now, they saw, now many saw them. That's from the crowd. Many of the crowd saw them going and recognized them. And they hurried there on foot from all the towns ahead of them. And as he, that is Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd. They leave a crowd. They're heading for a deserted place. They get in a boat. They go around the boat. People have now begun to move around the lake and get there ahead of them. I mean, imagine it. Somebody says, I know where they're going. They're going to Gennesaret. Let's, let's run around. I know a shortcut. And this crowd, this mob... Runs around. They, they, they get into the marina, pull into the marina. It's supposed to be empty. And there's a crowd already there. They go from crowd to crowd. At the end of the lesson, listen to what Mark says. And wherever Jesus went, into the villages, the cities, or farms. Villages, cities, farms. In the towns, in the small towns, out in the countryside, everywhere he went, they laid sick in the marketplace and begged him, begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. I mean, imagine the scene. This isn't, I mean, this isn't this gentle, oh man, can I just please touch? I mean, this is, this is pawing, right? This is, I'm going to grab hold. I just, I just want to get a little bit of fabric because the rumor is anybody who even just touches the, the edge of his cloak is going to be healed. Can you imagine this pressing crowd? I remember when my wife was pregnant, she would say this with every child. She said, you know, I don't know how it happens, but once you become pregnant and start to show, your belly becomes like public property, you know. <laughs> she would be sitting somewhere and somebody would reach out and touch her, you know. It's like, how can you do that? You know, you're like invading my space. And, and gratefully, they don't do it anymore, you know. That would be really embarrassing. But um, they would just reach out and, and, and touch her, you know, like. And it only happened for a few months. Imagine that somebody just, people constantly pressing in upon you. What do you suppose Jesus might have been thinking? Here's what Joe Boyzo would have been thinking. Don't you people have homes? <laughs> don't you have jobs? Do you have something to do? Will you please, you know, don't go away mad. Just go away, right? Leave me a little bit of... Verse 34. As Jesus went ashore... He saw a great crowd and went, ugh, I can't believe it. No, that's not what it says. He saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
This word for compassion is used only of Jesus in all the New Testament. It was a common word in the, in the ancient world, but, but the writers of the New Testament reserved it just for Jesus because it is, a, it is a, an internalized physical pain that when you see someone and you groan inwardly, I saw a film recently. There's this little boy, and he was helping this older man um, tend bees. And, um, and, and an accident happens, and, and the little boy gets, uh, gets stung, and, and nobody knows it. And they go out, and they find the little boy, and he's, been, he's just been stung all over by wasps. And you see him, and at the moment you see him, because he's a sweet little boy, you just, oh, you just inwardly, you just groan. We would say, it broke my heart to see that. This is sort of the same word. Actually, this word it comes from a lower part of the body. This means it hurt so bad it gave me a bellyache. Have you ever seen something that hurt so bad that it made you almost sick to your stomach? This is the, this is the pity that Jesus has for the people. He sees them. He knows that they're chasing him around and pursuing him. And he doesn't, he doesn't get angry at them. He doesn't castigate them or belittle them. Or even say what my mother used to say, don't go away mad, just go away. He loves them. He has pity on them. He has compassion. He sees the longing in their face. He knows that they're, they're poor and they're sick. They're mentally ill and demon-possessed. And He has pity on them. He has compassion for them. In all of the lessons today, we get the same message. All four lessons that God cares a tremendous amount for people. That God loves humanity and puts our well-being at the top of His priority list. That God loves humans and He wants us to be well. And I know it doesn't always feel like this. There are times in life where you're like, Why? Lord, why? Why this? Why me? Why now? Why do I have to, why do I have to carry this burden? Feel this pain? Bear this shame, whatever it is. Why do I have to do this? Why am I going through this? And I don't know. But I know this, that Christ is the Good Shepherd. He's the one who leads us to green pastures and beside still waters. He restores our soul. Oh yes, sometimes you have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, don't you? I, I, it was really difficult for me, and I don't know about you all, to, to do this in this, um, this new translation. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. How many of you wanted to say yea? <laughs> I will fear no evil. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I, if I have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I know that Christ has my back. Thy rod and thy staff. He will defend me, even in the face of certain evil. St. Paul says this, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He is our peace. A good shepherd cares for his sheep, tends them, feeds them, defends them, nurtures them, pulls thorns out of their little paws, right? Plucks ticks off of their ears. Good shepherd cares for his sheep. Yes, we'll face difficulty. Of course we'll face difficulty. But here's the thing. We'll never face difficulty by ourselves. We'll never be left alone to face it. Always with Christ with us. There's this fantastic prayer written by a Trappist monk in Kentucky uh, years ago. 
I've given it to you before, but you've by now forgotten it. And if you haven't, you'll love to hear it again. So bear with me. Uh, It goes like this. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean I am actually doing so. I love that line. The fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have this desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from this desire. And I know that if I do this, that you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen. I think that's a really good prayer. A really good prayer indeed. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.